Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Foy and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Everybody, everybody, welcome to This Life with uh, Bob Forrest and Dr. Drew. Hey, man. Here we are. Here we are. This is our, this is our maiden journey. Uh, we decided to do this for many different reasons. Uh, before we get into that, let me just give a bunch of business. Uh, you can go to drdrew.com and submit email questions for us. We will be a- answering them here. We can also get back to you via Skype and put you on this program. And Bob and I can interact with you if you have any other questions. Uh, if you like this, be sure to show a little juju and uh, spread the word. That's the only way this thing's going to have any survival is if you guys want this to survive. That's uh, what I've learned. Is yeah, it, so everything is word it. of mouth. Right. All this stuff about digital media, it's all word of mouth. Right, my, so, when a friend no. tells me to go see that Benicio Del Toro movie, which, one? which you should go. It's which so one? great. Which one? I can't say the name of Scenario. What is it? I don't know. The, where he's a hitman. Oh, yeah, yeah. So people tell me, go yeah. see it. I went and saw it. It was good. I didn't need... You yeah, know, you didn't need a commercial I didn't need social for that. media to right. tell me that. So Bob and I were talking that we just thought this would be an interesting thing to do. People seem interested in us and the things we've done together, and uh, let's just hang out. Twenty-eight and... years. Yeah, we'll start with that. <laughs> the, the people that don't, if you don't uh, know, Bob Forrest has a documentary about his life out called Bob and the Monster, and uh, in there, the documentarian pulled out a a. I don't know where the hell she found this. I think kids used to tape your radio show yeah. on cassettes. Well, how the hell what she, did she put out she a She just call? put out a thing on the, oh on the internet. Oh, my God. got a copy of it on a cassette. And on the cassette, you're wasted. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I, I'm giving good advice. <laughs> no, no. You were, what it was, you were doing, you were, this is what, what, I, what I heard was sincere and connected advice, which when you're loaded to be connected like that was astonishing to me. I was just drinking. I wasn't doing drugs. Okay. That was my MO coming out of rehab. Uh, <laughs> just drinking. Just drinking. Um, but but you still had a lot of chaos in your life too. I Always. A- and I said in this tape is like you, he gives some heartfelt advice to us. And I said, you know, if you get your shit together, you'd make a great therapist one day. And that was 28 years ago. I, and <laughs> then, then I, by, by the way, a year later, I announced Bob Forrest is dead, dead everybody. So That's stop, what I, that, I know when that was too. That was like three <laughs> years later when I came down to beat up the guy that was having people have sex with his wife. Do you remember that I old remember. guy? What? I was going to beat the guy up. He was on your show <laughs> saying like free love. Uh, Do you remember this? I, this all, that kind of BS <laughs> would show up once in a while. Yeah. By the way, that's becoming mainstream now. So <laughs> watch out. Uh, but but yeah, so you were gonna, you were out of control. You you'd come on the show when you would come on. We couldn't even keep you in the studio. You kept yeah, running out. I had out. to go to the bathroom. I had to go to my car. Yeah. That's drugs. Oh well, yeah, no kidding. Uh, and uh, <laughs> well, and, parents don't, at home don't know that. Yeah, if they yeah. need to repeatedly go to their car all the time, something's going on. Yeah, any any repeated bizarre anything, <laughs> and, and uh, or nonsensical anything. 
and uh, and I just said, look, we got to not have this guy around because it's going to be a tragedy. He's dead. Just just let's mourn him now. There's no way he's going to survive this illness. In fact, I think he's got AIDS. He's doing IV drugs. In fact, in Bob and the Monster, there's one of the your bottoms was where you shared a needle yeah. with a guy that has AIDS. Yeah, and I was scared that I had it. I looked, I felt like I had it. I looked like I had it, but fortunately, I didn't. Yeah. I don't know why, but. Um, and then people started thinking I had AIDS, and I knew that was very, they, this is horrible, but this is how low junkies will go. I encouraged them to believe that because then they would loan me money. Oh, perfect. How great is that? That's awesome. You know, That's so a good I, piece of the story. I feel like I was, I was the drug addicts that are alive today, that are full on using today, the, the kids that we deal with. Yeah. Like I, I have a kinship with them because I was like that 30 years ago. There yeah. was no... No shame in begging and manipulating and lying. You know, there was, when I went to rehab the first time, it was like lawyers and doctors and Walter Yetnikoff and like normal people. Yeah. And then there was me. Yeah. Right? Nowadays it's all me's. Yeah. <laughs> you right. Know what or, I mean? And worse than you's. You know yeah. what I mean? And we'll, we will address what we mean by that as we go, you know, to do this podcast. You'll get a sense of what we're seeing these days. Uh, we're also going to come back and uh, hopefully revisit some of our previous treatment cases. People have done well, people not done well. Uh, talk I think to, everybody knows about the ones that haven't done well, but they've never heard about the ones that have done well. Jason Waller and Amber. Jennifer and, Ketchum. Yeah. Lots of them. Lots of them. Do. And some of them sort of are trundling along. They're okay. They're better. They're better. I think they're always better for having been through it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it changes things. And then uh, those that died, died of, people are beginning to understand now that people die of this illness. Constantly. It's frightening. You know, 47,000 this year going to die yeah that number used to be like three thousand in the 80s but i think people think that somehow those are people that weren't treated or something those are most that's of them, the new rumor most that's of them the got treatment gossip. all of them have access to care they don't want access to care i'll give you an example or they the or they day, were treated the other day a homeless 21 year old girl who's going out with a guy that i've been treating or whatever he she wanted to talk with me she wanted detox. I right. said, well, she had no money, no health care, no, no nothing. And she's homeless, staying on somebody's couch out in Pasadena or San Gabriel. What? And she's not homeless. <laughs> That's how a junkie looks at it. I got a place to stay. <laughs> well, but then when I said the county beds that are available that I can help you get, like Cry Help Impact, um, you know, uh, down in Orange County, Jason Waller has a lot of connections, um, Stanton Recovery, they want you to sign up all in three to six months, really do this. And of course, the girl's yeah. like, I, I don't want to go for Away. that long. Yeah, I just want to detox. Yeah, right? yeah. and that whenever we, when you and I are accustomed to hearing people say, I don't want to, or the patient determines how the care is going to go, you immediately know it's not going to work. Immediately. That, and that's what treatment has become, is patient-driven care, almost like the hospitality industry, like a hotel. But before we lose you, uh, we also just want to talk uh, not just about treatment and drug addiction and mental health, but also just about what we life. Think of, yeah, what's Empty going on? Empty nest. F yeah. Having a five-year-old when you're fifty. Let's talk about it oh. all. <laughs> That's brutal, by the way. Let's talk oh about that. Oh my God! I couldn't do that. You know, his name is Elvis, and a lot of people that follow me know about him because he's you know Facebook hero. <laughs> um, he. He was going to this hippie school where everybody was kind of, you know, that hippie. I think oh, yeah. they have one out here in Pasadena. Now he's going to regular public school. Within two weeks, he wanted his hair cut to fit in. Oh, wow. Within a month, he's addicted to uh, video games. Oh, wow. He needs to have the gold uh, Star Wars ninja guy. You just see this peer-driven influence. And oh, wow. I see it 
it starts at five, I guess, in kindergarten. Oh, wait till and 12. And it just goes all the way through to what rehabs they want to <laughs> go to. It's all, because I'm, you know, I have anti-social personality. <laughs> anti-social traits. I've always gone against whatever anybody said. So to see it in your kid, like, well, no, you don't have to have the gold ninja. Fight against it. It's the man. The gold ninja is the man. It is the man. As opposed, don't you get any delight though in seeing them have joy and all the stuff oh, yeah. that's out there? Yeah, I mean, oh. I mean, but 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 some of it is consumerism, and but there's still joy in your kids' eyes when they're messing around with Pokemon or whatever the hell. Yeah, was, was that your era, oh, yeah. Pokemon? <laughs> go, I'm going to make you go in and look at the wall in this bedroom over here. We're, this is this is Playroom Podcast. This is the brainchild of Susan Pinsky, who's sitting at the control board right now. Sign in here, Susan. Say hi. She has a podcast. Playroom Pods. Playroom Pods. Playroom yeah, Pods. Playroom Pods. She, she started her podcast out of here, uh, calling out with Susan Pinsky. And she was like, God, that Bob, that Bob. We got, you got to do something with that Bob. I'm like, I'm hanging out. Perfect. Perfect. But on the other side, there is all the Pokemon on, uh, uh, framed. Oh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you'll, you'll enjoy it. No, right now, it's those little blue guys, the hitchhiker from Haunted ha- Mansion. He loves the haunted mansion. He loves in He's Disneyland. Obsessed oh, with it. good. We there went, are three hitchhiker ghosts, right? Yeah, three of them. Yeah, yeah. And he sings the song with the little action figures that he has oh, of them. When you hear a bell, a yeah. bell. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my that's life. That's the place where spirits dwell. At a time when I should be creepy, closing creepy, in on retirement, that's what to I'm sing doing. And harmonize. <laughs> you know all this. Pathetic. That's how many times I've been to Disneyland. <laughs> no, but we've gone, and all he wants to go to on that. And I, Grim, and ghost, come out to socialize. <laughs> That's it. They still That's have the it down thing. there. That's they still the have course. it down there 20 years yeah, and later. You know, it's interesting. They, I, I talked to one of the Disney engineers. I forget who I was talking to, but he was saying that they're, they, they could redo the whole thing and make it super cool with modern technology, but there's all these guys like us that went there when we were kids. We want to... You know, have our kids exposed to the old school elements? Yeah, you know what I mean. Hatbox ghost, whatever it is, just that old, that real, weird animatronic stuff that we thought so was cool. So about six weeks ago, two months ago, Elvis yeah. wanted to go to Disneyland. His birthday was coming up. I took him down there. He only wanted to go in the haunted mansion for five hours. We just went on it. Wow. Turned around and got the end of the line. Wow. And back through it. That's impressive. That's also obsessive compulsive disorder. That's isn't drug it? addict shit, isn't it? <laughs> 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 A little bit. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. I'm just saying. So now, one of the interesting things about uh, that genetic potential, which you know, is what it is, and you know, I will. I'll, I'll in one of these pods go through my whole thing about this, how I believe it's a evolutionary advantage to be a drug addict. It is. So I, I don't want to get into this, you know, our first podcast, but um, I, I'm of the opinion that the gene for addiction has it's a gene that evolved in nature and carried significant evolutionary advantages that carried this liability. Can we just with talk it. about some of the great? <laughs> Human beings that have had it. Oh, absolutely! Oh, it's almost every figure of history. Go. Yeah, almost every figure. And you sprinkle a little bipolar, and you got the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> you got, you got, you got historical figure now. So, how can we but, help people maximize the the, the utility of it? Yeah, how, yeah, yeah. How can well? So, I was talking about we're saying Elvis and his obsessiveness, which I'm a little OCD myself. And how how uh, how do we get it not to express the genetic potential for addiction in him? Well, right. I see that, but I see that he knows words that are beyond a five-year-old's words because of his obsession with songs, right. with stories, right. his focus. Right. But but how do we get that not to become addict at eighteen? 
Well, isn't isn't all of our big business in Wall Street driven by those types of personalities? So they just sure. go, go, well, go, the and they don't get sidetracked by drugs. No, no, or, no. But, uh, but I'm asking you, what are the what are the elements we can bring in to protect Elvis from expressing that gene in a negative way? Mm-hmm. Well, with you my know own, what the answer to that what, is? What? Well, uh, no trauma, and if there is trauma, oh, yeah. you oh, treat the, it. Oh, they're just the ingredients. Yeah. I get it. And, I get and, it. I get it. And and number two, attachment deep intimate attachment those are the uh, attachment and you and i across this pod we'll talk about this in great detail not today but as we go along but attachment see because parents at home will think well my daughter is my best friend so no, why no, no, see no. that's not attachment you know what that's a meshment you know what? there's a big difference we got to get dan siegel in here to do a podcast with oh that'd be great about attachment and then alan shore and stuff we'll get the real deal in here yeah um, because that's what i believe i believe that somehow i attach you'll freak to out I'm going to send you an email with some some lectures. How, people ask me all the time, how'd you get sober? Anthony was sober. Anthony Kiedis. Right? Yeah. He's my best friend. Yep. I met Gloria Scott, a woman he knew, who he knew would click with me, right? Because... Buddy Arnold. Oh, yeah. These are people I attach to just in immediately. That connection is still what drives the whole thing today, my sobriety today. What What... You know what I mean? We, like and you, a, like a cool is, old uncle that you never forget. What's the matter? I'm emailing him the po- the the lectures I want him to listen to for the next podcast. Alan Shore. Yeah, Alan Shore, Dan Siegel. It's done. It's done. It's on, it's on, <laughs> his, it's on his email now. Get on the mic if you're going to talk to us. You can't, you can't talk to us outside She's the mic. She's yelling at me because I just emailed. <laughs> But Go she ahead, has Susan. her mic what's, turned off. What's the problem? Leave it on the whole time. What's okay, the problem? In the middle of the podcast, he picks up his phone and he starts texting. <laughs> no. Okay, I, now I know why Adam Crowley gets so mad at you. Emailing. Emailing. <laughs> no. Emailed him these lectures I wanted to hear. Just tell me to write uh, it have down. Have you been to Love Lines Just lately? tell me to write it down and I'll, I'll make sure you How do it How long has it been since you've been down to Love Lines? <laughs> him and Mike just sit there looking at their phones the whole time. No. And I, Mike's I, looking I, at his computer. No. <laughs> he picks his computer out. He, I at least am looking at what people are saying on social media about the, about the conversation we're having. He's shopping. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Okay. Or, He's looking or at clothes. Sending clothes. No, or okay. sending dick pics. Uh, yeah. Okay, so so we need to um, take our guest. Hey, welcome back. So now, uh, Bob, you're going to introduce your friend, your yeah, this is my friend Wait. Joel. He's written a book. He has a passion for the drug laws and prison incarceration of addicts and a big advocate for it. And Tell us about the book, Joel. Yeah. Right now it's on Amazon and Kindle. It'll soon be in all the Barnes & Noble's bookstores. It's The name of the book is Letters from Marion, A Deadhead's Journey from Peace to a Supermax Prison. Nice. You, you know about Marion Prison? I, it, it's I'm, the worst prison in America. How'd you end up there? Well, the LSD. Short answer, <laughs> the short answer is there was there was um, some racist drug laws that were changed. Well, there were drug laws that were changed that the the sentencing commission changed in 1995 that uh, opposed blacks and favored whites. The LSD law, the methamphetamine law, and the marijuana law, and then they proposed to change the crack law. And at that time. 10 prisons simultaneously rioted. The prison I was at was the initial one to ride. And then as a result of that, me, along with 21 other black defendants, were charged with starting the riots. And then 
sent to Marion because of that. Wait, I'm a little confused. Were you already in prison? Yeah. Yes. What were you? I was a, I was a first-time nonviolent offender. I traveled the world with the Grateful Dead selling LSD, was indicted. I lost my jury trial and then was sent to prison for 151 months. The so, Talladega, where the riots occurred, was my fifth prison. Why, why so many prisons? Most most of the time, I just didn't adjust well, and I got into trouble. I sold heroin in three different federal prisons. Before I went to prison, I stopped selling drugs. I didn't Whoa. want to go to prison, and then wow. I was indicted for something that happened two years prior. Wow. So how now? I'm going to use a word that Bob used to describe himself. How do you contain all those antisocial impulses now? For me, prayer and meditation is a big part of it and just the power of choice and keeping my life busy, filled, being of service to others. Did did He did, works at the mission downtown. Wow. That's a big change, huh? That yes it is. It's a big change. Um it is. So so let, let's let, I want to get a little deeper into your story if you don't mind and and then get into the insanity of our laws. Okay. Uh, He's, uh, a mid- he's he's the poster child. He's a middle class white kid yeah. who liked the dead. Yeah. Got into drugs because he's an a- you know became an addict. Yeah. Covering his costs, dealing acid to cover his drug dependencies. What was your childhood like? My childhood. Yeah. That's subjective at best. I mean, my parents did try to do the best they could. They're, my book's pretty graphic with some of the stuff that's happened in my childhood. I think we were, I was raised lower middle class. Um, my parents fought a lot. The discipline was really heavy. Yeah, um, I was just, just listening to a lecture on uh, kids that behave like you did. Uh, out of They had 44 of these kids they were studying going forward, and they all got into similar stuff to what Joel did. And uh, of the 44, 42 had profound trauma in childhood. That yeah. they and the other two probably had it, just couldn't identify it. Uh, and uh, so it's you know this is when you know people have trauma and their their attachments are ruptured. Who can you trust except yourself? You can trust the dead. The grateful dead, <laughs> Jerry Garcia. Trust Jerry Garcia. Well, I I talk about that the first dead show I went to because everybody treated me like family and it was just amazing social. Oh, you found a family. You found a family. That's what the dead was. Got it. Got it. And the dead had their own rules, except for those rules in the parking lot didn't apply to our society. Got it. Joel got caught up. But isn't that how people join gangs? It's the same deal. That people end up in the mafia and gangs and shit. Yeah, you feel part of. Yeah. So anyway, so you so you you end up in prison with you know an insane because you were a distributor, right? That's why you got the big penalty. Well, I never was caught with any drugs. I I did sell all the drugs. I did everything they said. It was it was. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just didn't catch me. <laughs> it was a relatively small amount of drugs per se, and. <laughs> Um, there he had done way worse things than you to cop for. I know. Me too, Joel. <laughs> so, so anyway, so you end, so that's one level of insanity. Is it nonviolent offenders who are who are just drug addicts? Yeah. Uh, and and the marijuana piece you mentioned in passing was is part of the reason there's so many African Americans, so many black guys in prison. They change the he laws. Knows people in jail for life for drug possession and drug dealing for yeah. life. Yeah. Three strikes. It's insane. Right? Yes. Timothy Tyler, double life for LSD. Very similar case to mine. He pled guilty for 10 years and then at sentencing, 
and they said, nope, we have three strikes and he's doing double life. He's on his 24th year right now. Wow. So America is waking up to this. Right? Yeah, and, and, and I think uh, black America is too, or at least people who represent black America are starting to talk about that law that you guys rioted for. Tell us about that law. So the Sentencing Commission is comprised of uh, nonpartisan and six people. Some are senators, some are, I, I don't want to say something that's not true. And what um, they change, the methamphetamine law, the marijuana law, and the LSD law per, affect predominantly white defendants. And they decided to make a change on all, these three laws. These are that, federal laws. Federal laws that lessened the sentence, the sentencing impact. And as a change of that law, 30 months was taken off my sentence. Now, if Congress didn't act at the time, after a certain period of time, their change became law. They then, the crack sentences, the good people at FAM fought for all of these families against mandatory minimums headed by Julie Stewart. Then they voted on the crack law, which basically said we're going to treat crack the same as cocaine because it's technically the same drug. But in fact, powder cocaine, you can, you can buy a kilo of powder cocaine and make it into a kilo and a half of crack cocaine. But they, the people in prison for crack were predominantly black. And if you look at the, the minutes from Congress, the way that they refer to these violent offenders and that we can't change these laws because these terrible bad so people. They didn't are change the black law. They didn't say it about the LSD, the methamphetamine, or the marijuana law, which I can go into detail how they changed those laws specifically. So then the day it was the day of the Million Man March or the next day. Congress said, no, we're not going to allow this. Change the crack cocaine uh, over, over minimum mandatory. So, so, uh, they, want, they wanted to make it equal because it was 100 times worse. So if somebody got pulled over with five grams of crack, there's a scale that you look at the sentences. It was equal to getting busted with 500 kilograms of powder cocaine, which wow, is insane. That's because, insane. Yeah. And, and so there's this, that's why we have this this crowded so, prison so, population. So, is these so, laws and these ridiculous rules. So Joel, what is the answer? I believe all drugs should become legal. There you go. Yeah, that's right. simple enough. Now uh, Bob had some concerns about that, and it, it harkens back to our experience with uh, the closure of state hospitals. Yeah, and see, and Joel, you and I have talked about this, and we've had some heated debates, Joel yeah. and I. Listen, and it, it, well, I, but I think I what, think it's going to happen. What he's saying? No, I don't think so. I, people decriminalization. Are too, no, people, decriminalization. People are too moralizing. There's no way. But so you have an article. There's a couple articles on my website. One is well, the reason why because drug making drugs illegal or even decriminalizing hasn't worked. The drugs have permeated even inside the our federal prisons. So how how is that an answer to this problem? It hasn't worked. And there's access to drugs in prison is so easy, and there's no. This is another point. There's no real education. They removed Pell grants in 1994. Joel, so yeah. Do you chronicle the the history of how these laws evolved around the turn of the century? Yeah, he does. Yeah, good. That's that's an important piece for people to know because they're very are, racist, are, racist, very racist, arbitrary, super racist. That that was sort of their intent. Racist, arbitrary, capricious. And they've they've served as the foundation for these laws to this day. The war on drugs. Yes. Yeah. So, but but I think people would be surprised that you and I are sympathetic to Joel's point of view. Certainly. We we don't necessarily you know buy it a whole hog. But treatment over incarceration, uh, you know, 
and these the reason why he and I are so like-minded are on a, on some You're common both antisocial. Footing. Well, that's that's part of it. Our trauma histories, but but in fact, the the minimum mandatories are are even the DAs don't like them. No, it doesn't work. I agree with Joel. It does not work. It's sort of silly. It's weird. It's weirdly moralistic, and it doesn't. It flies in the face of science, which is what we know about the human relationship with substances, and we could do a much better job, much better job. But I, I do, I do. You know, let's let's look at the legalization of marijuana in Colorado. It's, it's, gonna, not, it's coming here to I California. Know, it's coming, absolutely, if people want it, they should have it. That's that. I, that's fine. But it's not been good health wise. The, the Colorado situation has been pretty pretty nasty. Well, now, the price hasn't come down. One of the Joel's and his his side of the argument is the price is going to come down. I haven't seen the price come down, not at your local clinic. Do you understand? So the well, profit yeah, is it, because still it, there. It's right, because it's still a capitalist endeavor. You know, it's yeah, just that's what I said, board. Joel. Remember I said, if you can, if you can charge, charge $60 an eighth, you're, you're not going to go, you know what? Yeah. I like you. I'm going to give it to you for forty dollars. Well, but an I think Joel would say Joel would say once once you get enough competition in there, that will drive price down. Also, but it, even if the price stays high, why don't we use that greed and say, okay, that's more money that we can tax and put a special yeah, law and yeah, I agree. treatment. I agree. But yep. do you trust the government to? No, in, I don't. To that's my biggest. Drug treatment. That's my biggest that's concern. The they, they, whenever they've they've enacted these these drug treatment laws, they've been so inadequate that they might as well not have put them in place. And then they start having mandatory elements in them that are, again, worthless and meaningless. And and uh, and so it just never, it never works when it's a bureaucratic system. I, I, that's my... You know, yeah. So the idea in, 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 a, in an idealized place, all these prisons, this military and this criminal prim, prison industrial complex we have would yep. be converted, at least I would say half of them. If half the people in prison are drug addicts, then half the prisons should be converted to drug treatment programs. Right. Yes, but the prisons are uh, the prisons are a cesspool and a crime school. The stuff that you learn inside a, a crime prison, school. I like that. There's nothing in there. And w the first prison I was at, I was accepted for Pell grants, and four months later, they rejected me. I went to I stopped selling drugs before I went to prison. So then I made some bad choices. I said, okay, I'm in prison for 13 more years. I got in trouble to go to a more secure prison because there were drugs there, and I want. I had to get smoke weed every day, and hence the first prison I went to, it's in my book, the first guy I met to, the, my bunk neighbor, pulled out an ounce of marijuana, he said, what are you in, in for? In the I prison. Said, yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> I listen, I, I know this. I think that pot, was, heroin's in there, there's all kinds of stuff in there. It's amazing. It was shocking. So I, I think that's clear that our laws haven't worked. We all agree on that. And the hope is that the legalization will, in the long term, and there's going to be growing pains, we're going to have more money to treat the addicts, identify the addicts, but also we're going to take the criminal element out. Half of the 2.5 million people in prison are for drugs. And in the last five years, as high as a 77% recidivism rate, or and, and over is half. Drug related. Of course. It's drug related. Well, of course, they're not treated. All right, Joel, listen, I'm going to let you go. Bob and I are going to sit and chew on this. Everyone should get the book. Thanks Letters so from much. Marriott. Thank you for joining us on the website. Let, uh, joelblazer.com or lettersfrommarion.com thank you so much Dr. Drew, Bob and Susan you got it Thanks, Joel. We'll, we'll, no doubt we'll talk to you more as we, time goes on so just as soon as this marijuana gets legal in California yeah yeah <laughs> is that right, November? Uh, I'm sure it'll happen soon yeah it's thank gonna happen you. thanks Joel
so there you go. So so you b- finish out what you're saying about your model of this being like the le- like the moving it, people out of the state. Well, animals. but I'm kind of taken aback that you don't think it's going to be decriminalized. I marijuana certainly is. Yeah, well, yeah. Next to come is obviously prescription drugs are already legal. Which is insane. It's, right? That's the insane part. The one that's doing the most damage right now already is legal. Yeah. But it's but it's just you know I could see a world in which I could see a world and this it would be, actually would be more sane than what Joel's talking about. And this sounds crazy, but a world where doctors distributed stuff. They do in England, right? There's, there are parts of the world where little little rests do it. And and then you could monitor and shape. And if a patient wants treatment, bring them into treatment. They're, they do this with alcohol. They have places where people come in their house, drinking houses. They're allowed to come in and drink all they want. And doctors monitor them. And they try to develop motivational. They do a lot of motivational work, try to motivate them to want to stop. And so if somebody doesn't want to stop, you're not going to convince them to stop. So at least if you have control of a distribution, I, I can imagine a world where doctors thought clinically in terms of, well, how much heroin do you allow this guy a week? How much cocaine do you allow him a week? What's dangerous? And then how do you motivate them? To see, get I think when you see to me, we're already heroin's already legal. It's called oxycotton. Uh, there yeah, is no. Yeah, but doctors are irrational with how they do it. They get them hooked. And then they cut them off, and then uh, they're shocked when they go to heroin. Yeah, that's and, and that's how bad it works. Patients. That's but, how it works. But I don't see ever a complete social acceptance of stimulants as a as a you know cocaine or methamphetamine. I think that's where it it well, carves because, out. But I can see where heroin. Is. No, Already no, we no. have methadone clinics. Ugh. Listen, do you watch the Nick? No, I don't. Oh my God! But you I, have to, Bob. I, Soderbergh. Bob. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's a signed viewing for you. <laughs> I, 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 you will. The, it's about physician, about a, a surgeon at the turn of the century, and I know what it's cinema. about. Yeah, no, I and know. And the guy, the guy who's played by Clive Owen, is a severe co- cocaine and opiate addict. Severe. He finally spins out, becomes manic, becomes psychotic, completely spins. He's also a sex addict. And uh, they take him to a place. They they they, they shame him at you know, a mental hospital. No, it's a, it's a drug treatment center and a lot of familiar language and approach that you we would we would well, recognize. That's made up. That but, wasn't from then. But but it, it's just I swear to God, this show is so fucking accurate. It's unbelievable. It, it, I'm telling you, it's it's the beginning of what we know as drug treatment because it mm-hmm. wasn't really there was no twelve step or anything like that. It just just kind of the approach. Well, Young was involved in AA, I, but I mean, you would know how if somebody was dealing with drug addicts all the time, they'd have a certain approach. You know what I mean? Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. Particularly ones that are coming in crashed. You you may not know what to do really, and the, and the doctor goes, "Oh yeah, you're in a cocaine psychosis. We deal with this all the time. It's a terrible problem." We now have a wonderful treatment for detox and maybe a way to sustain, maybe a way to treat cocaine addiction. I'm going to give you the, within five minutes, you'll feel so much better. He injects him and you see Clavo and just go, oh my God, lie down and what sleep is in it? bed. What is it? They pull back and I'm screaming, I know what it is. What? Heroin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then I, the next thing out of my mouth is, we are still doing that today. <laughs> Everyone's outraged because it's heroin. It doesn't matter that it's heroin, whether it's methadone or suboxone or whatever. That's the same idea. It's the same phenomenon, yeah. which is we're going to give you an addictive drug to treat an addictive drug. Now, I, I will grant you suboxone is a lot better. It's a significant advancement in all this, but it's the same philosophy, mm-hmm. same idea. We're going to give a drug addict like a drug, which is you and, and then I know, in our 21st century world, and they're going to hold it and take it as prescribed. Oh, but anyway, we're gonna we're gonna uh, we got to talk about our night in New York City because something happened there that I thought about for all this time, and that is when they asked us all to leave the the cookie plant. <laughs> that would never happen in L.A. Never. <laughs> 
I that is that really so quintessential you. New York. I know. I know. Like, I don't give a fuck who you are. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Well, they greeted us. They knew who we were. <laughs> they, they were so taken that we were in their little cookie shop. And then they were like... Nine o'clock, you got to get out. Yeah, they were like, well, we're closed. So thank you, guys. <laughs> Move along. Dude, in LA, they would just stay open. I know. I'm born and raised here. Yeah. It's a little taken aback by that. Well, part of part now. Let's be fair. That was in uh, deep in. Well, we were in Soho. Or we something. saw Aziz, and we, we were in the village. We were yeah, in the village, yeah. and they have an embarrassment of riches there with people walking into places because the traffic, the foot traffic there is so massive. You know what I mean? If they okay. if they just allowed people to kind of first of all, they don't care because they got plenty of traffic. <laughs> Secondly, if they let people just kind of come on in, they'd have a crowd standing outside there. Like, why are these guys never close? You, you know, New Yorkers like those dudes are in there. Why don't we? We want to come in too. Oh, here's somebody. There you go, Tracy. Tracy, is that you? Hey, hey. There you are. Hey there. Howdy, howdy. Hi. Thank you for joining us. Tracy, I'm, I'm reading your email here. You, uh, she emailed us at doctor.com, mm-hmm. and then we Skype her back. She has some questions wanted to discuss with us. Uh, let's have at it. Go ahead. Yeah, um, just uh, have a family member. It's actually my new son-in-law. That's um, He's doing moderation management with zero drug use um, as part of the moderation management program is he and, hang on slow down where, where is he at ucla or is he treated uh where is he um no he's actually he's not in a program i mean he's doing it on his own <laughs> but is he let's, going to the let's be, let's be clear moderation management is a very intensive treatment that you are seeing oh. you're doing lots of treatment when you're in moderation but there's management. a post support group for it I, I'm just saying, moderation management, if you're going to declare, I'm doing moderation management, you are in a moderation management program with oh, psychiatry, okay. with therapist, with... I oh, know, you're supposed to go through that, and then they have these yeah, almost like 12-step yeah, support yeah. groups yeah. afterwards. Yeah. So he's going to that? Is no, he going no, no, to... he did it all on his own. He's on moderation. He's, he's seen a therapist. Okay. He's seen a therapist, and um, my daughter is doing moderation management with a therapist, and she's going to AA and got a whole support group going. She's doing zero drinking she doesn't have any drug issues she's doing zero drinking why, why are we why are we calling that moderation management that's just addiction that's, treatment. that's, uh, alcohol that's sobriety yeah it's me, it's me misunderstanding okay uh, she so she, he's drinking and she's not correct yeah well, and he's saying he's not going to do any drug use um and part of they got married two months ago and part of the stipulation for getting married was she's she was like that he couldn't do any of that and um found out that he's been using DMT, which he claims isn't a drug. Oh. <laughs> he says it's part of his spirituality. He's oh. got a lot of his brother committed suicide ten years ago, oh, and he boy. said that DMT is helping him reconnect with his dead brother. And oh boy, he to us a... it sounds like a lot of addict talk. It and, for sure uh, is. For sure, he, that, that's a kid in big trouble. Let, let, I mean, somebody that is. <laughs> That's somebody who's not only a drug addict. There's some psychiatric stuff. Doesn't there have too. closure about the brother. Yeah. There's so many things that come strike right off the bat. But and this, the magical thinking about this, taking a um, drug. And connecting I've been with dealing them. with these clients lately. With right? the witch, the ayahuasca, and uh, and this DMT. Yeah. And you know, in that spiritual way, like I'm an open-minded guy. In that spiritual way, you're talking about once every six months they go to Costa Rica and do it. These kids are doing it three or four times a week here in Los Angeles. Of course. That's not a spiritual quest. That's addiction. Yeah. That's what it's. There's pipes hidden everywhere. He's got DMT yeah. hidden all over the house. Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a so crisis. This is a crisis right now. She agreed to go through with the wedding Oof. because he said he wasn't using, <coughs> and found out after because he used it right before some friends came over to the house, and 
it's everywhere and he's he's been willing to throw the marriage away until just this week he said well i won't use it if it scares you it's the worst combination and what i saw and i I don't mean to interrupt but what i've seen is this this worst combination of religion Uh, and and uh, active use yeah it's you know what i mean so my religion i'm finding god i'm finding this i'm finding that dmt is very dangerous uh, okay, th- that's what we thought. There will be psychiatric uh, consequences if he uses a lot of it in terms of mood. All kinds of stuff can go wacky from these hallucinogens. Uh, this is somebody in profound need of treatment. This is really, I, I bet his addiction was far worse than you ever knew in terms I'm of what, sure. what he was actually doing when he was actively using. He will be back soon to actively using. You may have to wait for that to you know really get in on it and get in and treat him. But uh, this is one of my fears about moderation management is that they don't select, you know, the patients. <laughs> I mean, here's your here's your daughter who's an alcoholic and she's properly treating her alcoholism. Beautiful. Yeah. You know, here's a guy's a drug What's addict. so hard about that? I know. What is so hard about <laughs> that? That's that's the interesting thing. Well, what's hard that... is alcoholics don't like to give up alcohol. <laughs> that's what's hard. Uh, and uh, they'd rather do moderation. No, management. but I mean, it's it's a pretty plain and simple black and white, right? There when, are other compulsive so... disorders and addictions that you still have to eat, eating even if you yeah. have an eating disorder. I, listen, and I, I don't object to moderation management as an option for people early in the condition. I have no problem with that. But but this is not a kid that in any way would be eligible for that sort of thing. What was his primary drug when he was... Uh, Heroin, I'll bet. Yeah, or an opiate or something. Uh, uh, I don't know much about his drug use. I know he was doing mushrooms before. I know he's done... Well, it's pretty much the same know, thing. I don't know what all he was doing. Um, he's also got huge anger issues. He's, he's lost uh, his parents broke relationship with him when his brother killed himself Oof. 10 years ago because they blame him for he was supposed to be watching the brother and the brother oh. committed suicide oh. he's got a ton of pain his oh. dad was just his dad's a medical doctor and his dad was just admitted for um bipolar delusion he's having delusions and paranoia oh. there's tons of mm. mental illness in the family and we're just worried that what does this what does dmt do to psychiatric yeah. Your psychiatric sets it off it sets off bipolar big time does it yeah okay yeah and all that anger and irritability may be a manifestation of his bipolar too but who i mean who this is so complex i mean this is somebody who really needs treatment in the worst way i that's, I, that's what we think yeah i mean this is really b- bad well, he greatly respects you, Dr. Drew, and so you, he knows I'm doing this now. He didn't know it before, but he know, he's learned since, and he's like, well, let's see what Dr. Drew says. And my daughter's like, well, we know what Dr. Drew says. <laughs> well, <laughs> in, in cases like this, what I usually do is send in Bob Forrest, <laughs> just, you know, yeah. because because I, I'm a little too, you know. Yeah, and Bob, sorry. They, they, well, no, no, no. I mean, I because mean, I'm, I'm too clear and too black and white, and and they don't want to hear that of course and uh, i like arguing <laughs> so i like yeah i imagine he's a big arguer about the the spiritual path that he's on and the, the be a, so the, you know i don't mind arguing all day long he sent me so many articles to read the only relationship yeah those he- are people that are using it once every six months I, what do you think of that, Drew? Because yeah, there's a lot of stuff I, going on with the soldiers and wounded warriors yes it's, there's places for this there's there is I am open-minded as you are, and there will okay. be there will be therapeutic uses for these kinds of things. We are long, we are way off from knowing where that is or how it should be used or what doses or anything. Uh, and DMT, I'm very doubtful is going to be one of the ones that we actually use. I, I really am. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but but be that as it may, uh, you know, it's 
you know the poor guy he's he's got let's I, maybe just focus on all the pain and all the, the yeah, psychiatric stuff play. i mean we start with that he's he's got so much he can't tolerate that's why he's using drugs I mean, that's why he can't stop using drugs the, the dmt is the only thing that's giving him well it's shutting off his brain here's he, here's he's, a, got. He, he's but, being blamed by his bipolar father for the suicide of yeah, his brother yeah that's like almost too much to carry right and so and so he's using drugs to blot that out and so what you should tell him is this fuck your dad? No, <laughs> no, no. Relationship with him. Yeah, he he's broken well, up. Relationship. Yeah, good. That's Bob's antisocial stuff. <laughs> but but is, it is that's what connects with the addict, right? I know, I know. But but tell but and that's why I have no ability in that when they get like this. But 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 tell him that DMT is is not. If if DMT were the treatment from what he is suffering from, I would advocate it strongly. It's not okay. the treatment, and although it may make him feel better, it's in the long run going to be very, very deleterious. Very in this okay. kind of situation. And I'm not saying, oh, I'm against hallucinogens. No one should ever. I, Duncan Trussell is a dear friend of mine, and he's a hallucinogen, you know, just like Joel. He's a hallucinogen advocate. Yeah. Uh, but but in situations like this, this is a medical situation. This is really serious. And uh, okay. I would I would dare say it feels to me that this kid's life may be in danger soon. It yeah. just feels like one of those situations that could really spiral bad. Okay. Yeah. Well, it has been. He's just been, I mean, he's to the point where he's like, we're like, you're going to lose my daughter. You're going to lose all that you have is her. And now he's let me in. He's never known what love is like. He said that love terrifies him and sure. people that love him for the first time in his life. So, well, listen, that's that's what Bob and I preach all the time. We, we call it attachment, not love. And, uh -huh. and it, it until they really it, it, you're jumping ahead a little bit to attach to a non-addict. Someone who knows really what they're feeling is what they typically attach to first. But here, let me just say something about you. And Bob, okay. you, you back me up on this. You have you seem to have uncanny clarity yeah, and, and centeredness about all this. We deal with families and people around addicts all the time. You, you I, I've had addicts in my family. I, I can tell. I can tell. So I don't know if it's Al-Anon or whatever you've done, but, but trust your instincts. Use your support network. You you got it going on. You, you don't even need us to to corroborate that. You're you're everything you've said has been spot on. Would you agree, Bob? Mm, perfect. Yeah. Okay. You know, just, what would you do if this were your? Uh, you know, I, I it's so complex. I I I really don't think I could give you a proscription. Okay. Because I'd have to really evaluate him to understand where, where this is at. I, I I would use whatever leverage you have to get him into treatment. Th that's clear. Okay. Uh, I, you know, you said, did you say he has a therapist? Yeah, he has a therapist. I, I would get at that person and kick their ass. I would, I, I would say, hey, we have talked to other physicians. They say this is a potential of a life-threatening situation. I want you to understand that we will hold you accountable if something happens to this kid. Okay? Oh, okay. Put it in an email. Put it in writing. Do whatever you can to document that you are holding, that you well, want, let's, let's that you want, hang on a second, hang on a second. You want consultation with with a psychiatrist and addiction, and by the way, that scares us too, yeah, Bob, yeah, and I, because yeah. there's so many bad, you know, doctors. Is it, out a, there. is it a therapist he picked up along the way from drug and alcohol treatment? It seems like he must have been in treatment, but one time or another. I don't, I don't know that he's ever been in treatment before, but it is. It's a therapist that work. I think he got the therapist through. They're they're seeing a marriage therapist, and my daughter's seeing a therapist, and I think they got this lady through those connections. Experience supposedly. I would hold the marriage therapist to the hand of the fire too. I would say, listen, you you need 
addiction professionals. You need psychiatry. You need psychiatry. You need addiction addiction professionals that can absorb some of this uh, liability that we are going to hold you to until you do that. Okay. Uh, Because they, uh, you know, they'll understand that language. But listen, Tracy, uh, thank you for you know letting us talk to you. Yeah, that's heavy. It's it's really intense. uh, I won't forget that. Right. It's funny. The dad that blamed the other son for the death of the son. And I, I have to, I have to point, I have to remind everybody that you know we're doing educational program here. This is not treatment, and and, you know. And anybody that does call, we're just saying, you know, in cases like this, this is how we approach these things. That's why I can't give you specific advice because this does require deep, serious evaluation. They got three therapists. They got three therapists. Somebody's missing something somewhere, and I don't know why. And maybe it's just this kid's lack of leverage. uh, Leverage Leverage over him to be motivated. But Tracy, thank you so much. We got to say goodbye. Hang in there. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, you'll let us know what what this is what your new podcast is yeah 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 it's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah it's just gonna it's just a drew and bob hanging out and talking frankly it's called this life yeah this and life. uh we want to talk to people we don't have time to talk to most just of the- check out drdrew.com it'll all be on there awesome well okay. thank you right. so much all right you guys thank, thank you. you okay bye-bye yeah i get i get nervous giving uh being so explicit with what I'm talking about with it, because I, I, I literally feel like I want to go follow through, you know. Yeah, yeah, so I, yeah. I don't want to. No, I know these kids. I, I deal with these kids. They believe in that stuff. It's crazy. Uh, we have one more email. This woman could not Skype in. She couldn't figure out how to use her Skype, and she sends us an email. It says mm-hmm. uh, her name is. Uh, we'll call her Faye. I need help uh, with my uncle to get better. He's addicted to ice. All the family wants to help. He has a good talent. He can pretty much fix any car transmission. He just helps. He just needs help getting back on track. Uh, no, yeah. no, this is not a simple matter. This is not hey, a little. Hey, a little little cajoling. Back. Hey, dude, you need to drop that ice and kind of get with it. You're such a good transmission yeah. uh, uh, repairman. No, no, this is somebody who needs to go away for a while. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, and just where it doesn't say where or what no. the situation is. Ice is methamphetamine. It's a form of high, high, high octane yeah. methamphetamine. He, he will develop us if he does. He must already have a psychosis. He will develop an irritability and a preoccupation that people are thinking about him and talking about him. He'll be very angry all the time. Take cards apart when they don't need taking taking yes, apart. Take things apart, put them back together, including like your television, because the television will start talking to yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he needs really hypersexuality, super serious treatment. That is not just a little help getting back on track. Now. Let's you, explain exactly why that's so hard. Because well, the just brain say, you, is so destroyed yeah. that when sober, that person feels like they don't worse exist. Than yeah. Death. yeah, like they don't exist. And uh, it, it's, it requires psychiatric management. It requires addiction treatment. You can take him to Narcotics Anonymous. People do get better with that. just that. He can sit there three times a day. But if they're he, in L.A., take him to Las Encinas Hospital. Yeah. It's a good beginning. Yeah. It just He's going to have to focus on his treatment for, for a while. Oh, a long time. Uh, and they will You're be... not going to even feel like life is worth living for six months. And how do we get help people understand how they do that? You know, people have to support themselves. People have families. How, how do they take that time? They don't feel like they have cancer, even though they have something just as dangerous. At this point, if you're if you're 18 to 34 and you have addiction, it's more deadly than cancer or car accidents. But how do we get them still, when they don't feel that way, to take the time? They, I... I I think we can convince most people to take three months these days, don't you think? 
even though but you and all, I both know it's all such a limited access to care. Yeah, care is another thing that's broken down. We're going to talk about this ongoing in different podcasts. Care is so focused on thir- the thirty-day model. You know what I mean? Still, because that's all the big money's up. Front. It has nothing to do with it. Thirty and days it, is worthless, and, and it, you need to spread that money out over a year. I'm going to get Amber Smith in here to when uh, we treated both sex rehab and drug rehab. And she uh, she's told me she said for the first two years she doesn't remember a goddamn thing. She, well, I, I all she remembers that. is me talking about emotions and her not knowing what the fuck that meant, having yeah. no idea what the hell that was. Uh, and uh, and they, that's the whole point. And when the brain is so injured and so protracted, benzos do that. The lots of things do do that. It's just slow, slow sobriety, slow recovery. Well, yeah. here's a, here's a new thing. If you are a person of means in the United States. Your expected price for 30 days in treatment in Florida and Malibu and Karen Foundation is about $50,000. Karen too? Yeah. I thought Karen took care of people. I thought it was free in Karen. It's all. Oh, my God. So between between 34 and 60,000 is the average month stay. If you took that money and and spread it out over 12 months, you could get high quality care. But the bed's not going to be that nice and you're going to have a roommate and you're not going to have, you know, I hate to say it, physicians waiting on right. your hand and foot. Right. You're going to have people who know how to deal with addiction all the way down the road. Yeah. And I always recommend that you get one case manager following the whole thing. Yeah. And I, I agree and with I that. I want to raise my occupation up to be more of a case management field yeah. rather than this step and fetch it for the for the rehab centers. For that makes sense. All right. Are we about wrapped up here? Okay, yeah. Bob. I want you to tell everybody where to go if they want me addiction help oh addiction help so so there's all these different websites you can go to you know and you can't trust them because they're all for-profit phone banks and centers when you google addiction you're going to get a a, you know referral referral system for people that are wanting that money revenue so i i'm associated with the rehab in malibu called acadia malibu you can call them at the 1-800 number. You can you can email them at acadiamalibu.com and, and you'll know it's my rehab because I'm on the website. I, I would also say that if you're <laughs> outside the area and you're wondering what, you know, you're trying. No, you can call for call for outside the area. No, we no, but everyone. I mean, I'm just saying, though, if you have other, you want to stay, you know, anything run by Hazleton gener- or associated with Hazleton, H-A-C-E-L. And Karen Foundation and, and Betty Ford, and all Karen, the big players. Well, Betty Ford and Hazleton are now together. Yeah. So, so anything anything with Hazelin really tends to be high quality. So you can pretty much pretty much trust what's going on. Well, anything that's here's my thing in a, in a nutshell. The back of your insurance card has a one eight hundred number for he- yeah. mental health and addiction treatment. Yeah. Call them; they have their in networks, right? Yeah. yeah. But when you're looking for treatment, look for nonprofit status treatment. Oh, it's almost impossible, right? No, Karen Foundation Hazelin, not for profit. Oh, good. All right. Karen. Uh, Karen uh, cry help impact all not for profits right all great places a uh, highest highest we, those are places we can refer to with uh, great confidence but great be confidence. careful be careful yeah it's it's sad what's when going on when you're out right there, there googling be careful all right so we will keep this thing going we got a lot more you and i are going to chat, chat about uh, we got to this talk life. about life Aziz. yeah this life with uh, bob Forrest and dr drew we we could just you know maybe we just yeah, we're going to be back fast. We'll be back before you know it. And I, I th- feel like we spent too much time on addiction this time. Uh, however, if you keep coming at us with calls and questions that are addict-related, we're naturally going to go there. But we want to talk about much more than that. We're going to talk about everything. Yeah. All right. See you next time. This is a real life. Oh, this is the only one you get. This does not.
three.